you have reached a phone call from Paul, a literary hub podcast. To hear more, visit lithub.com. Part 2 of Paul Holden Graber's Conversation with Werner Herzog Your rogue school that you're pursuing now, to some extent, will be available online for people to follow you. No, um, not so, because the rogue school is the rogue school. Number one, the rogue school is much more guerrilla style and much wilder and much more irre irreverent. And of course, uh, the rogue film school is face-to-face. I'm speaking with uh, young aspiring filmmakers. In fact, every one of them is already professional. They have to send me a short film for me to make uh, some sort of choice who would be invited. Um, the masterclass that was made uh, is um, to people who are anonymous, somebody out there. And, and normally, I think uh, the attraction would be for young people who have never made a film or are just about to enter into a professional career. So, um, and what else could I say about the masterclass? Well, I think well the, the, uh, the, there now. Yeah, the, the, rogue, the rogue school, I mean, for, for people to understand, is, some, is, is a seminar that you give to a, a few people to, to teach them... What? Um, I, I do not really teach anything in the Rogue Film School, with the exception of two minor things. One is how to pick uh, safety locks. I'm done with that in 20 minutes. And the second one is how to forge uh, documents, how to falsify, for example, a shooting permit. Uh, very good to know how to do it if you're in a country which uh, has a military dictatorship and doesn't allow you to film, like Fitzcarraldo was done with a very elaborate and wonderful forgery. Um, so, but those are the only things I'm teaching. All the rest, all the rest uh, is somehow more about a, a way of life well, I, 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 I remember, I mean, I remember when, when I, I told you once that at that point my, my oldest son was in, in France and had learned how to milk a cow. You were asking me, you know, what, what, was, what was he doing? And I told you he learned how to milk a cow. And you said that is of monumental importance. A boy needs to know how to pull the udder. Should, he should dig a hole in the ground. I mean, the four, five, six-year-old. Yes. I, they should dig a hole in the ground. And in my mind, that came to a, a similar situation as the one you just described, which is knowing how to pick locks, knowing how to, how to get into places that are closed in order to get the best shot. Yeah, yeah, sure. But the, the, the rogue school also in some way uh, leads people to understand that that reading is so important and you have a you have a list of of books uh, that you that you care for and not care for no, no okay I care for, I care for correct myself. correct me correct me yes 
course, I do care for them very dearly, and uh, but uh, they have to do with, um, let's say, filmmaking on a, on a different scale. Uh, and the list is mandatory. I have something like six or so books mandatory. You have to read at least three of them. Otherwise, if you show up, and, and sometimes I talk about these books, they have nothing to do with filmmaking. One of them is The Peregrine. We spoke once in public about it, um, about watching peregrines. But uh, it's a book that everybody who makes film, films should read, the kind of immersion into your subject and the passion and the caliber of prose. I mean, we haven't seen anything like this since the short stories of Joseph Conrad. But it also includes, for example, Virgin, Virgil, uh, the Georgics, not the Inuit, but the Georgics, or, for example, a short story by Hemingway, the uh, uh, short happy life of Francis Macomber. And it includes uh, Bernal Diaz del Castillo about the conquest of New Spain. He was a footman of in the army of in the small army of Cortes, and the Warren Commission report, for example, just a, a wonderful piece of of reading the best crime story you can ever read, and the and the phenomenal conclusiveness in its logic. So those are the things I I, I care for uh, aspiring filmmakers to read. Thinking about about the Warren report, I'm I'm wondering how you're living these these weeks now of of these uh, various so to speak debates in in the United States. I'm I'm reminded of a of a line that I I can't tire quoting and which I will quote to you of H. L. Mencken, where he says that. The demagogue is one who preaches doctrines he knows to be untrue to men he knows to be idiots. Yeah, that's a good good way to say, to describe the current situation. But um, we have, we, we'll see. We'll see what happens. We just should not uh, feel safe and believe that uh, political discourse has hit rock bottom. And it's not yet. You you believe it has not, my you know. No, it has not. It has certainly it has not. I I do remember I do remember when uh, Reagan was il- elected president. Everybody was was just uh, tearing out their hairs. Now a B actor from Hollywood is trying to to act as president, and so it's. And I said, now look, listen to his speeches. Just listen. Or for example, uh, Richard Nixon. Uh, how appalled my friends were about Richard Nixon, and I kept preaching to deaf ears, Nixon, look at him, look at Tricky Dick. Tricky Dick is an important president. He's the one who finished the Vietnam War. He, there was a maelstrom, there was a vortex that dragged everyone into the Vietnam War. He was the one who finished it, who ended it. And many, a, a few other things uh, that all of a sudden appear uh, in in our knowledge and in our uh, reminiscences that uh, a couple of very important things happened during his presidency. 
So no more danger now than than before, and you've had a life where you've you you were born in the middle of of the Second World War, and my my own father, who you knew, was born at the very end of the First World War, and shortly before before dying, my my father kept saying to me, Paul, I hope you have a refuge, um, I, you have a place where you can go if you need to. He up to up to nearly the very end, he was one of the only intelligent optimists I knew, and then became darker, bleaker. Uh, but but you you seem to to think we haven't hit rock bottom. We things could get worse. Uh, definitely, it could get much 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 worse. Uh, and uh, I think uh, American voters. Uh, ultimately end up with uh, reasonable choices a uh, uh, kind of a, an, an image of hope someone someone else you 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 i think you care for as p- particularly his short stories as hemingway who makes one feel a little bit more hopeful when he when he says that the rain will stop the night will end the hurt will fade hope is never so lost that it can't be found. Yeah, you shouldn't. You shouldn't uh, be so gloomy. Yeah. You apparently watched some of the uh, convention. I did. I did, and I. I, I sort of am. Oh, we are a, a in the no- convention of the Democrats. Right. Uh, it's you see, it's a spectacle. It's a spectacle uh, which, uh, of course, has a lot of inflated hot air, and it has. Uh, something vulgar about it, and so it, all this doesn't really count at the end of the day. At the end of the day, what what counts might be things that that matter to us a little bit more. And I'm 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 wondering, Werner, at this moment, what both what your next projects might be, and also I'm always so interested in knowing what what. What you're thinking about, what you're reading, particularly what you're reading, always, you know, I would never have read The Peregrine without you. And now I must have mentioned that to a hundred people. I must have increased the sales for the New York Review of Books a hundred times over of that single book. And um, the same happens, is true in terms of... Can I interrupt you for a Please, please. This is wonderful that you are doing it. Uh, Spread these things uh, because, and I'm doing the same, uh, because the peregrine has has not changed the course of my life, but it has made it better. Which which is perhaps the, the best definition of what books can do. Yes, but I interrupted you. I'm so sorry. No, 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 no. I, I, I was wondering, you know, besides the peregrine, uh, perhaps two or three aspects of your life that I'm particularly interested in at this moment, which is what other, what other books have you discovered or rediscovered? What other movies have you discovered or rediscovered or go back to without feeling betrayed by, by, by what they have become for you? And what paintings are you are you looking at? Because I know when you look at paintings, you look at them for a long time, and you do exhibitions as well. 
don't don't cast your net too far out now at the you, moment. You're right. <laughs> Paul, I'm in the middle of releasing three finished new films, a part of finishing yet another one. Goodness me. Slow and behold out, and I have a feature film, Salt and Fire, out, which I shot in Bolivia. The Queen of the Desert hasn't been released yet. Into the Inferno is just going to be finished and has to be released, and so on. But uh, uh, casting the net somewhere into films, uh, Abbas Kiyomostami died, uh, and he, the Iranian filmmaker. And yes. uh, I'm <clears throat> now revisiting two of his finest films. One is Where is the House of My Friend? And the other is uh, Close Up. That's two films that like to spread uh, and recommend uh, like I do with a peregrine. That's uh, filmmaking at its very, very best. And it's like uh, a man who carries 5,000 years of high culture, of Persian high culture, 5,000 years of poetry in him. And all of a sudden it, it appears in in his films. So watch Kiarostami's films, in particular, Where's the House of My Friend in Close Up. Yes. I, 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 will, I will definitely watch these movies now on, on your recommendation. I just, I just had occasion to see again a movie that I didn't think aged badly at all. Um, with, with my older son, I watched Taxi Driver. And it's still. I liked it. I never liked it. You didn't. Never. It doesn't doesn't matter. Yeah, doesn't matter. But I revisited a film. I wanted to show it to Lena Presson's Pickpocket. Oh yes. I mean, this is phenomenal. It's such. Oh, it just makes me ache. So so intense and so beautiful. Did you say ache? This, yes, ache. It it makes you ache. It's so beautiful. And we also uh, watched uh, O Azar Baltasar, uh, about the donkey Baltasar. I don't know what the English title is. I don't know, but I will find it. Well, uh, well Werner, it's, it's... I mean, it's an incredible film. It's such a, such a pleasure to talk to you each and, and every time. And I know at some point... We, we we have been invited both to go to Greece and to go to Iceland and I I remember you you were recently <laughs> yeah you were excited by both invitations and in in both cases they have to do not only with the pleasure of speaking to each other but the places we could go to uh, in Greece with with the story of your your own grandfather and in Iceland because you want to you want to see certain documents there that that would really really mean something to you yeah i actually filmed and held in my hands for the second time in my life the codex regius and what is that uh that's the soul of 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 uh, iceland it's, I think, more intensely the soul than the Dead Sea Scrolls for for Israel. Uh, Codex Regius uh, is the only uh, codex or manuscript of a very ancient mythology. I mean, it was um, uh, written down in, in 1250 or so, but of course, much of it dates back a thousand years deeper into into history, oral tradition. Uh, about the prophecy of the seeress, for example, and the the death of the gods, 
I mean, it's unbelievable stuff. And, and for Iceland, it's they know it's their, their soul. And the Codex was given away. That's why the name is Codex Regius. In the 17th century, an idiot of a, a Icelandic bishop gave it as a present to the king of Denmark. And Denmark was smart enough to return the Codex in 1971. And they put it on the biggest battleship Denmark has in its navy. And they accompanied it by cruise ships and a fleet of sailing boats. And uh, half the inhabitants of Iceland's uh, in, of Iceland was waiting at the pier in Reykjavik, getting drunk and chanting the stanzas from from the book and waiting for its arrival. And when I held it at that time, a few years later, 1974, 75 or so, I was in Iceland, and I asked to see the book, and they actually handed it into my hands. And when I re-emerged eight stories from underground in an elevator from an atomic bomb safe vault under the National Bank. Everybody in Iceland knew that I had held the codex in my hand and uh, the hairdresser uh, gave me, uh, the barber gave me a free haircut immediately and the pastry baker rushed in and, and brought me his his best things and the fishmonger wanted to give me a whole halibut I mean, half a ton heavy, so it seemed. It's it's what a wonderful story, and 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 in a way, it 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 brings us full circle back to what it means to instill trust and confidence in people. Yes, they uh, they 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 knew that your your passion was burning and that it was true. Yes, and I knew some of it by heart, and I could recite it to them and. Uh, it was just a wonderful moment, deep underground, uh, uh, eight floors, atomic bomb safe vault. Does any of does any of it come to you now by heart? Um, in in a way, yes, I could. I could recite a few things from. Uh, from the Völuspa. Do, do, do. Uh, you mean, for example, about the the creation of the world? Why not? It's a good place to start. Yes, but it, it has to be a specific translation, and the translation is by Hollander, Lee M. Hollander, the poetic Edda. And uh, it just has some some very beautiful language in it. I mean, in its English translation. In the earliest times did Emir live, was nor a sea, nor land, nor salty waters, neither earth was there, nor upper heaven, but a gaping nothing, and green things nowhere. Was the land then lifted aloft by Boor's sons, who made Midgard, the matchless earth, just the matchless earth. We should, uh, we should never forget this line. Who made Midgard the matchless earth? It's powerful. And so on, we are. All right. Well, Werner, it 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 really has been a pleasure to talk to you. And um, are you are you going back today for another day of reading, or are you going to to shoot? Uh, 
done all my shooting. Um, I'm just um, looking after unfinished business and uh, mails that I haven't answered for weeks and things like that. So I, I'm catching up with a, with a daily average life as well. The banalities. Well, Werner, thank you for, for taking for taking the time to talk to me and and see you soon. And uh, uh, thank you so very much. And all the best to you. Yeah. Uh, well, call me any time. Thank you. Hang on, that's outside of our of our conversation that you will publish. Um, I have one question about pronunciation of English. Um, there's one sentence in my commentary um, it is like and, and I'm speaking about people who venerate uh, uh, a sacred site it, it, it is like a quasi a religious experience do you say quasi or quasi I would say quasi but who am I Werner to talk about how you pronounce anything uh, no I think it makes a difference because uh, um, uh, because my my sense of Latin language somehow rebels. It should be quasi, quasi uh, is the Americanization of it, and it, I don't. It doesn't feel right. It could be. It could be right. I mean, you could be right, or I could be right. I'm not sure. Yeah. Or well, for example, uh, I don't say like the English would say. Codex Regis. I say Codex Regius. Yes, I, I, and I... I would never go into what, what you would normally hear. Well, I, I feel the same way. I, I'm, I feel partly because I was so much educated in, in Europe by Middle Europa parents who, who spoke English with an accent not totally dissimilar to my own, I never quite know what the right pronunciation or wording for things is, yeah. which, which can sometimes be uh, both uh, uh, amusing, perhaps, and, and sort of uh, strange. Yeah. Well, you would, you would somehow Americanize or, or Anglicize certain things that are of very common uh, knowledge. You would say fungus and fungi not fungi, uh, you would say fungi, but you would, I feel like saying quasi, a quasi-religious experience, or a quasi-stellar ob object, the quasars. And are you, are you, when, you, when, you when you mention quasi or quasi-religious experience, are you referring to something in particular there? Yes, yes, I... I see people who are taking in something like a religious experience. People in particular you're coming into contact with. Yes, yes. But, but for me it's a practical thing. You see, in a few days I'm recording the commentary texts in the studio. For, for the movie about the volcano? Yes, yes, exactly, yeah. Well, I can't, I, ca I can't wait to, to see it, Werner, and I can't wait also to, to talk to you more about Lo and Behold, because you were mentioning before that it's part of a worldview, and obviously I'd love to know what that worldview is, is about. I'm, I'm, I'm both interested and struggling with what that view is that is now part of this generation of ours. Yeah. 
yet the 12 and 15 years old who are sending me mails now in questions. I, I am sure they are. I am sure they are. That, that is very much part of their world now. But I do encourage them still to read, 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 read. Yeah, yeah. Okay. All the best to you, Werner. Take good yes, care. To you as well and the kids. Thank you. All, right. All the best. Bye-bye. Take good care. Bye-bye.